Well, if I don't get to preach this morning, um, I get to do the next best thing, which is I get to introduce uh, the man who is going to preach, which also means I get to talk about someone that I admire. Um, Dan Jarms, who... I've been able to labor with and under for the last eight years. Um, it was an easy choice to have him come down and, and be here this morning to fly all the way down to Texas. Um, Dan's been the lead pastor at Faith Bible Church for the last 16 years, and um, he gets to do a lot of cool, nerdy stuff, like be a, a professor and a dean of students at the seminary, which is on the church campus there in Spokane. And the thing about Dan is, uh, he, 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 although a scholar, he, he doesn't give off the vibe, but, but he is, he is brilliant. He's got a bunch of degrees, including, a uh, like three master's degrees and a, a doctorate in preaching. And so is a, a brilliant guy and an interesting, an interesting man. Um, been married to Linda for 28 years and, uh, they have three grown kids, Corbin, Evan and Brenna, and, and I love each of their kids. E each one of them loves and treasures Christ, and I am personal friends with each, of their, with each of their kids, and each one of them at one point in time was in the ministry over which I was a pastor, so that is a, a great blessing to me. I have close ties with he and his family. And uh, the thing about Dan is he's the, the quintessential Renaissance man. Lots and lots of, of interests, a little bit like Midas. He is good at, at everything he puts his hands on. For instance, um, one thing is you, he could be classified as a foodie. I don't know if you know what a foodie is, but what that means is he has a refined taste in food as an art form, not only in eating it, but also in making it. He's a, he's a gourmet chef. I don't know if he'd give him that title, but I would. Um, Another thing is uh, he, he has built his own pizza brick oven in his backyard, which makes the best pizza I've ever had in my entire life, no exaggeration. Uh, he's also a woodworker, so he, he's a, a skilled woodworker and a craftsman. He's a former college basketball player. At one point in time, he was able to dunk a basketball. <laughs> he's a, a historian by trade. Uh, it was his degree. He's a master gardener. He's a writer. He's an art enthusiast and like a dozen other things, which means uh, he is a man who is insanely interesting. And yet, uh, none of those reasons are the reasons why I asked him to, to come down here. Um, there are many reasons why I did ask him to come down here, many reasons why I, I love him. For instance, he is a man of exemplary humility and holiness. There are very few people in the planet humble and holy like Dan Jarms. He's real, he's authentic, he's genuine, sincere, easily one of the most warm-hearted and selfless men I've ever met. He, it is impossible for him to say no when someone asks him to serve them or do something for them in any way. He is a, a physician of the soul with seemingly instantaneous insight into the human heart, of which I have been a, a, a glad recipient many times over the last eight years. He's a theologian who's breadth of knowledge matches his affection for Christ. In other words, he's a theologian in the best sense of the term. The more he le learns and knows and discovers about Christ, the more his affection for Christ grows. He is a pastor who lovingly shepherds his flock in Spokane. There is no one, I repeat, there is no one who loves the local church more than he and his wife Linda. 
He's an evangelist of brokenhearted compassion, a man who, who weeps for lost people as he drives by the neighborhoods in which they live. He's a courageous and stalwart defender of the faith. And today he is our usher who will exegetically escort us to the throne room of heaven from the pages of scripture. So would you please welcome with me my friend and my pastor, Dan Jarms. That was both um, endearing and awkward. <laughs> um, if there's anything, uh, anything good in me, it's because Jesus Christ is gracious and um, never stops working. Hopefully you feel that about yourself also. It is a delight to be here. Uh, I already love you because you love Jared. And uh, Jared is too old to be one of my children, so he is one of my dear friends. But we would typically say of our kids, you love our kids, you love us. Uh, but you love my friend and my colleague, my co-worker and co-laborer in the gospel. Uh, you, you love Linda and I, and so we are really grateful to you. We already love you. We already pray for you. And we are eager for years of a network of relationship. Uh, however you can serve us, we will bother you. However we can serve you, you can bother us, and we would love to serve you. So it is really a delight, and you, you have chosen well. A actually, uh, I will say this, it might seem insulting, but I don't intend it to. Um, it's a no-brainer pick to get Jared. So you don't have to be really intelligent to realize that Jared is a phenomenal pick. Uh, you listen to him preach, and you, he, is, he is gifted. He is a gifted theologian. He is precise. He is deep, and he is a profound um, man of God in prayer and the word. And so um, you just got to him first uh, of the others. So well done. Uh, quick move, especially those who were insistent uh, on Jared continuing to look. That was, that was a, a brilliance on your part. I, I love Jared as a, a friend and co-laborer, and Sarah and the girls, they are, uh, they are a delight for us, and they will leave a massive gap, a hole to fill at Faith Bible Church, and uh, only Jesus can fill that, and, and we, will, um, we will not worry about it getting filled. We just know that there is another man uh, for us who will uh, take years to catch up to, to where Jared was, but we, we are grateful. Um, so it is an honor to be here this morning for an installation service, and uh, I'm going to primarily preach to you, Jared, although others of you who are here, or others of you are here, I'm primarily going to preach to you, Jared, because it's your installation service, and so uh, the outline is for you, and the, the, the theme is for you, and for the elders of CCBC, and uh, I think others of you will benefit uh, as you hear God's word for it, but uh, Again, I want to say how, how profoundly grateful I am and how much I already love you as a church and how you will be on our hearts. We gave a gift to the Gilchers, which was a, um, a map uh, on um, corkboard, and we put a rope between uh, this location in Spokane, and like, um, like it was told William Carey, uh, we're going to hold the rope as, as you go, and we will be praying for you. So that's true. Jared, I, I want you to remember an evening in May of 2014. You were the awkward third wheel to a trip to Italy with Linda and I. 
Jared and I got to teach in uh, just outside of Messina in, uh, in Sicily for a week, teaching hermeneutics, and then on the way back, we got to stop in Rome. And in this May evening, we had just walked the skirts of the Forum in Rome from the Colosseum back to, to uh, the other side of the Forum. And you, you helped us get into a, um, what was a closing church at the time, a, a, a chapel, and you got a picture with a number of nuns you remember that, that moment? We still have that picture of Jared with his ladies. <laughs> Linda naturally stopped and took a picture of every cat. I think at the Gatti di Roma, there are cats all over Rome, and which was distracting for a moment because we, remember we ascended this, this hill and on the top was this three or four story ancient building and behind us are, are 2,700 year old ruins of the forum which was just all breathtaking for us. And at the top of the steps, you know, the first thing Linda sees is a cat, of course. So, so she gets a close-up of a cat with behind it these ancient ruins. But right behind us was what we were going for. And Jared, you, you remember it because we turned around and we looked and descending under the building was the steps to the Mamertine prison. And the Mamertine prison, two flights down, where sunlight never came was the last prison that the Apostle Paul was in. It was where he wrote this epistle, by candlelight or oil lamp. Everyone had abandoned him except Onesephorus and Luke. He was alone, yet he had Jesus. He was not under house arrest. He was chained to guards on a rotating basis or chained to stocks when they needed to leave. It was cold. It was dreadful. Paul was being held on a capital crime. He says in the letter that his time is nearing its end, chapter 4. He was awaiting his second trial before Nero's court, and if it didn't go well, he would lose his head. Timothy was in Ephesus, where he was maintaining the leadership of the church, and Timothy was what we can make out somewhat shell-shocked, PTSD, you might call it, uh, bewildered. The breath was taken out of him. He had Alexander the coppersmith, um, from the outside attacking the church and the inside, he had false teachers creeping in and the wind was out of his sails. The lamp was way down. And Paul writes his final letter to his brother Timothy. Now, that's not the situation here. This is an auspicious occasion full of hope and energy and excitement for the future. And yet this, this final letter to Timothy, uh, Paul's final words of encouragement are to every Timothy, to every young pastor, to every elder pastor of faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to say to the elders at CCBC, to you, Jared, Jesus gives you both undeserved privilege because it is a wonderful privilege 
to shepherd the flock of God. There is nothing like it. He gives you a monumental charge also. One day you're going to stand before King Jesus and you are going to be given account and Jesus has placed the burden of responsibility on you all as elders and Jared, you as leader among equals in this flock, this eldership. The local church does many things to the glory of God. The local church gathers to worship and exalt Jesus together. The local church is a disciple-making community. The local church brings hope and help in the form of wise counsel to people in the world. The local church represents Jesus to the world in its holiness. The local church evangelizes. The local church is the Cape Canaveral of world missions. Local churches, not missions organizations, are primarily responsible for sending missionaries. Local churches, not seminaries, are primarily responsible for raising up pastors and future leaders, although both of those things play an important part. At its core, though, at its core, the local church is what Martin Luther liked to call a mouth house. Before the Reformation, the local church was a bread house. It was where the sacraments were taken, and that was the key point of any sermon. But under the Reformation, the local church became a mouth house because the local church is where the word of God is spoken. And the word of God is the powerful change agent for the world. And so central to all those things that I just said that the local church does comes the preaching of the word. Central to it is the preaching of the word. It is through the folly of what is preached that God changes the world, that God changes human hearts, that God prepares his people. And one of Paul's closing exhortations is to preach the word. The title, Expository Preaching, may be new to some of you, may be familiar to others, but it is essential to what this mission is. And Jared's task is to be an expositor. All God-honoring preaching is expository preaching. It is the reading of the text of Scripture, which Jared just did for us. It is explaining it and then persuading from it. It must be done by a spirit-filled man in, the reliance, in reliance on the Spirit of God, honoring the intent of the author, The trifecta for expository preaching, there in your notes. This, this is what you will want to look for in Jared and to hold Jared accountable for. The trifecta of expository preaching in 1 Timothy 4.13 begins with this. It says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. We define expository preaching relatively simple, read the word, explain the word, and apply the word. That's what you have right there. This was what Timothy was to do in 1 Timothy, that he was to devote himself to the public reading of the scripture, to explaining it and applying it, or in this case, teaching and exhortation. 2 Timothy 2.15 is the second in this trifecta. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, and here is our key phrase, rightly handling the word of truth. That means saying what God says. Saying what God says. We're not looking to be clever. 
We are not looking to be profound. We are looking to say what God says. Because when we say what God says, the Holy Spirit uses God's word to change people's hearts. The third in the trifecta comes in the centerpiece, and it will be our final point of four. Preach the word. Expository preaching, reading it, explaining it, teaching it, and persuading with it, applying it is the hallmark. It is the core. So if you want a disciple-making church, the, the, the thing that is most crucial in the life of a local church is the preaching of the word. The Sunday gathering to hear the preaching of the word is the flagship meeting of the local church. It's the most important hour and a half that the church spends is in hearing, singing, seeing the word, praying the word. Because as, as the pulpit goes, so does disciple-making go. As the pulpit goes, so evangelism goes. As the pulpit goes, so does the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And so this is the fundamental primary task of anyone who stands in the pulpit is to preach the word because by it God uses his word to transform the hearts of people and to turn sinners to saints want your evangelism to grow expository preaching is going to be your key and so this morning I have four charges here um, for you, Jared. They are, they are just following along in these verses. There are four ways to be faithful, a faithful expositor, no less, so that CCBC can be fruitful. You want to be fruitful as a church. Nobody wants to be unfruitful. Nobody opened the doors so that people would not come and be um, Uncouraged or not built up. You, you want to gather for a purpose to grow as a people of God and to see more people come to God. Well, if CCBC is going to be fruitful and Jesus Christ is going to be glorified because he is glorified when you're fruitful, then expository preaching is going to be the key. So briefly, I want to walk through this, this passage. There are four ways here that... CCBC is going to be fruitful, and Jared, it depends on your faithful exposition of the truth. First, continue in the scripture. Continue in the scripture. You're going to be faithful. CCB, CCBC will be fruitful, and Christ will be glorified if you continue or remain in the scripture. Verse 14, it says, but as for you, this is 2 Timothy 3.14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This word continue, the Greek word meno, which means to abide or remain. And Jared's farewell sermon to Faith Bible Church was from John 15, 7 through 8. And what would be the key word there, abide, is the key word that Paul charges Timothy with the word of God. Continue. 
John 15, 7, the same word is used this way. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Continuing, remaining, abiding in the word of God continually. What's the what? Continue in, Jared read it as the things, and that's a good way to say it, is just continue in what? What's the what? Well, if we were to have more time in 1 Timothy, you would look in verse 113, and it is the pattern of sound words. It is the deposit, verse 14. But right here in the context, you have the best explanation of the what immediately following. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you had been acquainted with the sacred writings. What's the what? It's the sacred writings. It is the scripture. In this case, the Old Testament, and already as Paul is writing epistles, he's quoting in, in uh, 1 Timothy 5, he is quoting from his friend Luke, who is with him, and calling it the scriptures. So he is talking about what's already been written, and he's talking about the Old Testament. These are the scriptures, God's holy words. It is the doctrine, it is the teaching. It is the word. It is the word of Christ. It is the gospel. Jared, your task is to continue in what you have learned and what you have come to believe. But above all of those things, or along with all of those things, look at verse 16. Because Paul, saying you need to continue in this, defines it. In verse 16, we have the Mount Everest of what we call the doctrine of inspiration. And it is the doctrine of inspiration connected to the doctrine of God that gives our most compelling case for the need for expository preaching and the proof of the authority of Scripture. Verse 16, he simply says it this way, all graphe writing, all scripture, all written scripture is God-breathed. They have us. God-breathed, breathed out by God. Your, some of your translations uh, might say inspired by God, meaning that the writing, which is an interesting way to talk about writing, isn't it? We don't normally talk about writing in terms of God-breathing it. But what that means is what God put on the pages in Hebrew and Greek, and the best we can do to translate here, right here, is inspired writing from God. It's, it's his. God has revealed himself in his word. He's revealed himself to be true. And so we connect what this is, a self-revelation from God, to the character and person of God. His omnipotence is going to mean that he can take care of his scripture. Don't have to worry about what's happened in the last 2,000 years with Scripture because God has been and is able to take care of his Scripture. It is his word. He is able to take care of it, and he has done that through providence, and so it's a trustworthy word. But above all of that, it is guaranteed to be authoritative because it's true, and God is true. One of the very important passages to connect with this doctrine is Numbers 23.19, which says, God is not a man that he should lie 
nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Since God can't lie and he is omnipotent, he has all power, then this word was cared for through providence. This word is true. You can trust it. And since he is above all those things, king over all things, what he says is what we respond to. It's what we do. It's what we follow. It's our rule of life. It is not a just, it's not merely a helpful guidebook with some good ideas and tips for better living. It is God's inerrant, holy, inspired word which is powerful to transform us. Since it is breathed out or inspired, it's true. The second Peter 1.21 talks about how this was done. It says, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So yes, men did write it, but God supernaturally, by his spirit, carried them along so that everything that they wrote was from God. It was God's revelation using human authors, their personalities, their style, their history, their culture, but it's all God's, God's word. It's 100% true. It's 100% accurate. That includes its history and its science and its theology. All of it. It's true. So continue, Jared, means at least these three things. For you, it means at least these three things. First of all, drink deeply from the scriptures yourself. There is no more important discipline in your life than an open Bible and long, savoring, thirst-quenching drinks from it in conjunction with lengthy prayer. You're going to need to stand on the shoulders of, of commentators, of theologians. You, you will need them. You have a library full of them. You're going to need to stand on their shoulders. You're going to need their perspective. You're going to need their experience. You're going to need their hundreds of years of studying the scriptures ahead of you. But they are not the inspired word. They are, will not ultimately satisfy your soul. You can read all the devotionals you want, and there are good, there's good use for that. But what you need to continue in is the scripture itself. Drink deeply. Second, you need to guard the scripture's absolute authority in your life and the ministry of CCBC. You have to guard it for this. Continuing on is going to have an element of guarding this as your rule of life and godliness and ministry. And third, to continue, and it means to feed CCBC continually from the scripture. You need to keep feeding them. This is their bread. This is their food. And I just want to say, you, you didn't hear the gospel from childhood like I didn't. You didn't have parents who were believers like I didn't. But I want to remind you of your spiritual fathers in the faith. Bob Delatour, John Smith, Dr. Paul Felix, who taught you your Greek. Dr. Robert Thomas, who taught you the... The, the depth and importance and significance of the scriptures, remember them. They were faithful and are faithful men. Continue to remember who you've learned it from. It makes you wise for salvation. So first, continue in the scriptures. Second, Jared, equip for righteousness. Equip for righteousness. You notice that last phrase in verse 17, equipped for every good work. So all scripture is breathed out by God, 
That's the things he continues in. Jared, that's what you continue in. It is profitable or useful for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. And its aim is equipping. And just to remind you all, and I'm sure you know it well, but just to stir up as a way of reminder, Jared's task is to equip you for the work of ministry. Jared isn't the minister. My mother, who didn't get saved until later in life, will still introduce me to her friends as, my son's a minister. Because that was, that was the title that we used. Well, you're all ministers. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and, and you are committing yourself to a local church, you are a minister. And so Jared's task is to equip you for every good work. He is, he is primarily an equipper. He tells us, how this equipping looks like. It looks like teaching, which is instruction about God and his will and our response. It is reproof, that is to challenge behavior that is ungodly. If you have the same kind of flesh that I do and Jared does, uh, you will all have uh, ungodliness still dwelling in your flesh and it needs to be called out and it needs to be rebuked because God gives life in obedience and he gives life and joy in conformity with his will. And so the role of reproof is part of the preaching ministry. Correction, that is convict convicting the misguided and disobedient and restoring them to God's way of peace. It is taking somebody who's going off the path and bringing, bringing them back on the path. It's, teaching, it's taking somebody who is drifting away from God and calling them back, pulling them back, praying them back. And then it's training in righteousness. It's disciplined instruction aimed at personal holiness. That's the teaching or training in righteousness. It's how to live a God-honoring life. And so, Jared, they need to be fired up, fueled up, and fixed up. I'm a fixer-upper. You're a fixer-upper. I know there's some famous place in Waco about that. And I, and I would say, looking at Rich's house, he, he must pay some attention to Joanna Gaines, just an aside, just an aside, he's got style. Jared, back to, back to some serious things. Give them content and correction. Give them doxology and direction. Give them theology and real-world training. Give them principles and real-world practices. Expository preaching explains it it reads, and it applies the scripture. That's your task. Third, Jared, you will continue, you need to continue in the faith. You need to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Third, you need to count on a day of reckoning. Count on a day of reckoning, where I get the title from, charged in the presence of God. Verse one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. By his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Jared, you're going to be faithful to CCBC. CCBC will be fruitful and Jesus Christ will be glorified if you readily and frequently remember that a day of reckoning is coming for your ministry. This is a privilege and a responsibility and one day you will stand before Jesus and he will evaluate your faithfulness. Elders of CCBC, one day you will stand before Jesus and evaluate for your faithfulness. And, and all of you, since preaching isn't only the ministry of Jared, uh, by your accountability and by your encouragement, you will all stand 
for, uh, for an, under account for how the word was preached at your church. And you immediately might say, but wait a second. I remember Romans 8, 1 really well. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does that possibly mean? He's charging him by the one who is going to judge the living and the dead. What could this possibly mean? I, I can't be judged. There are at least three judgments coming. We won't get into our, our little timeline. But I want to say this. The second word here is his appearing, which could have meant his first appearing or his second appearing, but I'm thinking it's tied to this, this. And there is a period of time coming that opens with a rapture where the judgment will begin. The first thing that will happen is the saints will be caught up to God, and that's where I believe this judgment seat of Christ will come. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All, all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That means there will be a day every one of us will stand before Jesus and be given an account. What will happen if there is no condemnation? First, that is the first moment you will see all of the sin you have ever committed and that Jesus died for it. It will be the first time you will have seen all of the sin that you've committed that Jesus died for. And you will worship him and you will praise him. And that is the time everything you did with a motive for Jesus to glorify him will be rewarded. Well done. This is a solemn charge. One day, all of us will stand and give an account. There is a final judgment coming, which is also connected here to judge the living and the dead. Revelation 20, 13 says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. One of the implications of verse 1, Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, is that he will come back, and the, the Muslim high school that has all the Muslim students all these young men and young women will stand before the judgment seat of God. And if you love them, if you care about them, and if you care about your neighbor down the street or the addict uh, in a recovery center, or if you care about a coworker who is not following Jesus, this should, sort, this should press on your soul. Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead and... Do I have the passion and the heart to speak openly, boldly, winsomely, and persuasively about faith in Jesus Christ? The pulpit of CCBC will set the tone for compassionate, bold preaching to lost people. Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. And like the watchman on the wall, like the watchman on the wall out of Ezekiel, we want to be the ones who warn compassionately and caringly for those who will face him as judge. Count on judgment. Finally, Jared, you will be faithful. CCBC will be fruitful and Jesus Christ will be glorified if you preach the word. If you preach the word. 
2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. To preach is to herald or proclaim with the idea of persuading to submission to the word of the king. A preacher was a herald for the king comes into the town courtyard and he declares the king's new rule and how things are going to be in the city or the town or the region and everybody says this is how it is. This is the king's new rules. It's a preacher. And what we're preaching is Jesus Christ and him crucified, resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the throne of God who will soon return to judge the living and the dead. There is a king It's the hallmark verse for expository preaching in the New Testament. You can see by how it's connected uh, the the vocabulary, the the grammar. That's what I'm trying to say. The grammar has this sense of urgency in, in four of these words. Preach. It's as if it's saying, preach now. There's an urgency. Then he explains it in between um, what he's talking about. Reprove. Reprove now. Rebuke now, exhort now. This is what preaching is, herald, proclaim, and by it, it looks like this. It looks like teaching, which we just saw. It looks like reproof, which is to bring to light errors and draw to the truth. It looks like rebuke, calling straying consciences to return. It looks like exhortation coming alongside. Now, now I want to say this, Jared. You're just starting to get to know everyone here. My guess is everybody here loves Jesus. So we don't have to act like you hate Jesus every week. You don't always need to be smacked or spanked, but sometimes you do. You don't always need to be told how awful you are, but sometimes you do. Often you need comfort. Often you need instruction. Often you just don't know what to do with God's word. That's exhortation. So, Jared, as you and the elders pray, and as you ask, here's what I'm preaching, what do our people need? You will need to know whether they need correction or training or rebuke or reproof or an arm around the shoulder comfort when they're suffering. Expository preaching notices all those things in a congregation. It's what shepherds notice. Donald Guthrie writes this about this section. Christian reproof without the grace of long-suffering has often led to harsh, censorious, uh, harsh, censorious attitude, intensely harmful to the cause of Christ. To rebuke without instruction is to leave the root cause of error untouched. Tell them things about their convictions. Build their convictions. But also build their character and build their conduct. Expository preaching prepares the people for right attitudes and right conduct. You're going to have some of your key women ask you about a particular women's Bible study, and everybody in the country is doing this Bible study. It has the best-selling women's author in the, in the country, and you're going to have to patiently and carefully say to them, I don't I don't think this is going to be most beneficial for you. And and here's why. 
but everybody's doing it. Yeah, it might be the most popular devotional, whether it's for ladies, men, or kids. It might be the best-selling devotional ever written, but it may be filled with error. Remember what it says right after this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And the elders, the elders need to be ready to patiently either reprove, correct, exhort, and give them better. Give them the best. You're going to find men who are passive, women who are languishing in their marriages. You will find men who are domineering and women who are fearful. You will find parents that are bewildered and at loss with what's going on with their teenage children. You will find people who don't know what to say to a Muslim or how to respond to the news of cancer. They'll be at a loss. And so by preaching and by your pastoring, you will equip them for every good work, the work of endurance, the work of faithfulness, the work of service. I want to leave with this. Why preaching? Why preaching? It has to do with the what. Why would God ordain preaching? It, it has to do with the what. The what that was mentioned in verse 14 is this. Second Corinthians Four, verses five and six, the apostle Paul says, for what, here's our what, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God spoke the world into existence and the universe into existence by the word. And so God speaks into a darkened, sinful heart with the word. And he brings dead, hard-hearted sinners to life through this word of the gospel. The word, preaching the word, is the word of truth, the word of the gospel. And at the center, at, at, the, at the filament of the light, at the, the center chamber of the halogen bulb that is all the word of God is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ, all the attributes of God flow and ignite at the cross. And so the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 20, 121, since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What's the what we preach? Verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. Who would want to follow a king bloody and dead on a cross? But it is there, the king of glory, who gave his life for undeserving sinners so that they might find forgiveness as they repent and turn to him. This is the folly of what we preach. Preaching is center because it is foolishness. Words, words. Well, it's not just words, it's the word of the cross. Folly to some, 
but the wisdom of God. And remember what this word produces. Ephesians 1.13, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Why preach the word? Because God spoke the universe into existence with the word. God speaks new life into the existence of a stony-hearted dead sinner. Those who are under the judgment of God through the word of the cross become friends of God, become children of God, have the hope of eternal life. And, And I would say this, some of you here Some of you here are visiting today. Some of you here have been a long time, but you have not yet seen the glory of Christ. And I want to tell you, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, who Jared is the foremost. And it was the word of the cross and the gospel that drew us and we would plead for you to bow your knee to the judge of the universe who has also offered his life so that you could be his brother, the father's child. That's why we do expository preaching. We want you to know. We want you to know about this great savior. You will be faithful, Jared. CCBC will be fruitful. Jesus will be glorified. If you continue in the scripture, if you equip for righteousness. If you count on and remember the coming day of accountability, judgment, and if you preach the word, God will use his word. He has been for 2,000 years, and he will continue until he comes. Let's pray. Father, this day we glorify you and praise you that you would have grace and mercy extending us peace through our Lord Jesus Christ and the proclamation of his word. I remember where Jared heard the gospel. I remember when he heard the gospel. I remember when I heard the gospel and when you saved us. Many in this room remember the same thing and it was through a word preached that you turned the light on to help us see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we would pray this would be a mouth house, that CCBC would first and foremost be a place where the life-giving, hope-giving, life-changing word of God might be preached. Help it be done faithfully by your power. In Christ's name we pray, amen.